There's a story that's told, I have no idea if it's true or not, but it goes that a southern plantation owner left a inheritance for uh, a former slave, $50,000 for a man who had served him faithfully all his life. Just to put that in perspective, $50,000 then would be the equivalent of roughly a million dollars today, so no small sum of money. Now, the estate's lawyer notified the old man that the money was deposited into a bank account in his name, and uh, several weeks went by. The former slave never came to claim any of his inheritance. After several years, the banker went out to find the man, told him he still had $50,000 to draw upon any time he wanted. And the man said, sir, might you be able to spare me just 50 cents for a sack of cornmeal? Now, I wonder if that's not illustrative of the state many Christians live in today. Still thinking like a poor man with no grasp at all on the riches available to them. The goodness, the mercy, the grace, the fellowship, the power, it's all there. Ours for the taking. I'm sure probably many of you here wouldn't believe me when I say that. Uh, That's okay for a long time. I'm not sure I would have believed me when I said that. But a number of months ago, it's actually probably been a few years ago by now, but some time ago, three verses sort of collided for me, and I wasn't sure what to do with them. I mean, cognitively, I knew what to do. I read it in the Bible. I knew I needed to trust them, but uh, I wasn't sure how they related practically to each other. So I'll show them to you. I'll read them to you. They're in your notes and explain what I mean. John sixteen seven says, Jesus said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you, but if I do go, then I'm going to send Him to you. So that's kind of interesting, right? I mean, it's Jesus talking, Jesus is kind of a big deal, right? Hashtag NBD, hashtag humble brag, whatever you want to put in there. Jesus is the author of our faith. He says, it's better that I'm not here because this helper that I'm going to send to you, he's highly recommended. Three out of three members of the Trinity recommend him. Okay, so, so there's that. Then John 20, Jesus continues, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. That was Interesting to me because I thought the Holy Spirit came later in Acts 1.8, which Acts 1.8 says, Rather, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. So you can see my dilemma. On the one hand, we have Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, saying, hey, it's better for me to take off than to stay. And then we have a pretty clear case of Him giving the Holy Spirit, yet withholding the power until later, as if to imply the Holy Spirit can be in you, but not upon you. So I began to wonder, is the same thing happening today? Are people trusting Christ for the forgiveness of their sins, for the promise of eternal life, but are they not tapping into the power that is available to them through the Holy Spirit? So let that sort of marinate in your mind. Selah on that, if you will. But then realize, Acts 19, I read about Paul, where he shows up to some disciples who are in this town called Ephesus. He asks them, hey, did you all receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Like, we don't, 
We don't even know what you're talking about. We've never heard of this alleged Holy Spirit. And honestly, I felt like God, the Holy Spirit, in that moment was saying to me, how many of your people, the ones I've entrusted to you at New Anthem, would say that? Like, how many people sitting here today or watching online are missing out on fullness of life by not knowing who the Holy Spirit is or what He's come to do? Now, let me explain something, because if you're a guest with us today or just back for the first time in a long time, it's probably worth you noting that what we like to do here at New Anthem is take a book of the Bible or a topic that seems relevant. We'll spend a few weeks exploring what God has to say about those things. We call them sermon series. You picked a great Sunday to start coming to church, if that's you, because we're starting a brand new series about the topic I've already introduced, the one I'm having difficulty with on the Holy Spirit. Now, normally when we do a series, you don't have to be here every single week to understand what's going on. I mean, topically, the sermons all relate to one another. They have something in common, but they don't intersect on the level that, like in week three, you don't have to be here for weeks one and two to understand what's going on. But for this series, it's, it's very much different because today, week one is much setting the stage for week two, which is building up for the culmination that is going to be week through. So if I could just encourage you to make March a priority, and, and really, you should, I would hope, make church a priority every single week. But I understand that, you know, stuff happens, life happens. And uh, so I'd love to have you every, uh, every week of the year. But if you could just really commit to being here every single week in March. And truthfulness, this has been my favorite series to prepare as I've studied. I've got really excited. So I, I do wish you'd come every single week. But if, if nothing else, in March, please come every single week because... What we're going to dive into is a monumental topic. I've prayed for this. I've fasted for this. I've asked God to do what only He can do. I've asked Him to give us in our hearts an awakening, a longing, a desire to experience Him differently. I think a fair amount of Christians talk about being born again and putting their sin to death, but I want us to really feel in our souls what that means. I'm not an expert by any means, but I know it doesn't matter what I say. Only God can draw you close enough to Himself to make that happen. Amen, somebody. Now, let's be honest, because all of that sounds kind of weird, doesn't it? This Holy Spirit talk. I mean, can't, can we just talk about Jesus? That sounds nice, but if we won't dig into the nature of the Holy Spirit and do some theology, we might end up loving the wrong Jesus. There's a lot of false teachings out there. There are a number of false versions of who Jesus is. Only talking about Jesus, never studying the Bible would be like a pilot saying, hey, I don't need to learn about aviation. I just want to fly planes, played video games, right? I don't, who needs training? No, you need, you need some training, okay, if you're going to fly an airplane, all right? I mean, this afternoon, I'm, I'm going to be flying out. I'm going to be getting on the plane. If I got up in there and went to the cockpit and told the pilot, listen, I've watched Top Gun an unhealthy amount of times. I've got the need, uh, the need for speed, baby. Let's take off. I'm, I'm on it. I can handle it. Play the games. No, the, you know, the pilot would not let, I'd be put in jail and, you know, who, my life goal as a kid was to kill Russians and shoot down MiGs, right? I can surely handle this Southwest flight. 
not the case, okay? I, I can't even wear aviators, right? I mean, I, I can do the leather jacket with the fur, but the sunglasses, that's absurd. It was theology, that's where I was headed with that. Don't let that word scare you. Theology is just the study of God. There are so many wrong ideas about God. There's a lot of people who know a little bit about God, but they don't know God yet. This is why I want to take this time to lay a good foundation for you. All of us need training in what the Bible teaches about God, primarily the doctrine of the Trinity. So let me just kind of lay this out quickly. The doctrine of the Trinity is God is one God eternally existent in three persons. That's not tritheism where there's really three gods who stick together a lot. They like each other. That's not unipersonalism, which is really one God. And sometimes he takes on different forms. So sometimes he's a father, sometimes he's a son, different forms, different places. There's really only one God. No Trinitarianism, which is what we're talking about today, is there is one God one God existent in three persons who know one another, who love one another, who are in relationship with one another, but cumulatively there is one God. So God is not more fundamentally more one than He is three. He is not more fundamentally three than He is one. You say that is difficult, Pastor. That's right, 300%. I thought we can get above 100%, but he is 100%. How does all of this? There's no way I could explain all of this in one meeting. So what you really have to hear me say is we believe as church leadership in the Trinity, not because we understand it, but because it was revealed to us. Christianity is a revealed, not a discovered or dreamed up religion. If Christianity were an invented religion, you would certainly not invent things like this that nobody can understand. For thousands of years, nobody has been able to understand the doctrine of the Trinity. But Christians believe this because this is how God revealed Himself. If you want to think about your Bible in three stages, it's progressive revelation is what theologians call it because God reveals Himself progressively through Scripture, uh, hence the name. But the Old Testament is primarily about God the Father. We're seeing the characteristics of God the Father laid out for us. The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, primarily about God the Son, Jesus Christ, what He came to do for us. And the rest of the New Testament uh, from Acts on is primarily about God the Holy Spirit. He's revealing to Himself cumulatively. There's, uh, that's who I want to introduce you to today is God the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but when I was growing up, there was a lot of confusion about the Holy Spirit. In fact, people back then called Him the Holy Ghost. Well, the Holy Spirit, He's the Holy Ghost. It all changed in 1984 because Dr. Peter Vinkman got people asking themselves if there's something strange in the neighborhood, there's something weird and it don't look good. Who are you going to call if you're seeing things running through your head? An invisible man sleeping in your bed. Who you call? Ghost, Ghostbusters, right? I mean, so it all changed, 1984. If kids, just Google it, okay? You don't, you don't know what I'm talking about. Not now, right? I mean, just when you get home. I don't want to hear the song throughout my med. Okay. Probably should have had the band play it to, to sit. 
Derek wants to figure that out on the scent. Maybe that'd be good. But it was weird, man. The Holy Ghost, nobody knew what we were talking about. To make matters worse, there was Holy Ghost people. Like we were introduced to some Holy Ghost people. They ran around with flags. They played the tambourine, which ironically also had some flags on it. It was uh, very crazy. The, The ladies either wore lots of makeup or no makeup at all. So that was kind of bizarre. They had really great shoes, or some people were just bare feet, depending on how you figured out the Holy Spirit. God forbid you watch some Holy Spirit television because you would see people laughing uncontrollably, barking like a dog, speaking some gobbledygook. It was all real life for me. For me, it was borderline frightening as a child, you know, especially the no makeup gals. That was, right, no, it was was crazy. But if he was... As a child, I would think, if that's the Holy Spirit, I don't want that. It's too frightening. Let me just say to you today, you do not have to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. These excesses that we were seeing, they were not the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show you that in the next couple weeks. First of all, today I want to show you something specific. So if you brought a Bible, I hope you did, you can go ahead and grab it. We're going to jump around a little bit, but the main text we're going to be in is in John. So just... Uh, turn towards the back of your Bible, look for some guys' names, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, is how it will go. Uh, John chapter 16 is where we're going to be at. We're trying to discover who is the Holy Spirit. That's the big idea today. We want an overview of who is the Holy Spirit. Next week, our church planting intern is going to be here to to talk, um, and I encourage you to be here for that. He's going to give you some great advice. Uh, March 18th, we're going to talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, and March 25th, we're going to talk about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Hopefully, that will all make sense in a second, so hold tight with me. But John 16 is where we're at. In case you didn't know, John chapters 14 through 17 are what's commonly referred to as the upper room discourse. Do you know why? Because they were in the upper room. Okay, so not... Not a trick question, guys. Uh, I don't know who came up with creative sermon titles, but there's another one in Matthew chapter 5 where Jesus is preaching on a mount. They called it the Sermon on the Mount. Yeah, so it's very... I hope he's not paying guys for this creativity. But John 16, Jesus is talking to His disciples for the last time. He would be crucified hours later. So what we discover in this uh, upper room discourse is very important to Christianity as a whole. I would encourage you to read John 14 through 17 as a whole. But let's start in verse 7 of John chapter 16. It reads, And when He comes, He will convict the world of its sin and of God's righteousness and of the coming judgment. The world's sin is that it refuses to believe in Me. Righteousness is available because I go to the Father and you will see Me no more. Judgment will come because the ruler of this world has already been judged. There is so much more I want to tell you, but you can't bear it right now. 13. When the Spirit of truth comes, He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on His own, but will tell you what He has heard. He will tell you about the future. He will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. A couple things if you're taking notes. First of all, the Holy Spirit is a who, not an it. The Holy Spirit is a who, not an it. He is a someone not a something. He is not a force. 
He is not a feeling. He is not an object or a voice. He is a person who wants to have a real relationship with you. Nine times, just in these seven verses, Jesus says, He says, His. I've heard people describe the Holy Spirit wrongly as the personification of God. Like Jack Frost is the personification of winter. No, he is the third member of the Trinity, a who, not an it, a person fully capable of interacting with you. Now, this gets kind of confusing in Scripture, and I understand that because he's compared to a lot of other things. There's fire, there's oil, he's compared to water, he's compared to a dove. Most frequently in Scripture, he's compared to the wind. In fact, in the Old Testament, uh, it was written primarily in Hebrew, 378 times it uses this word ruach, which translates wind or breath, a violent blast of, of air. 11 times in the Old Testament, in a language called Aramaic, they use the same uh, uh, word for wind. In the New Testament, 379 times they use the word for wind. In the Greek, it's called pneuma, where we get pneumatic air tools. Uh, Same same word. A current of air, blast of breath, strong breeze, spirit. Over 800 times in Scripture, the Holy Spirit is described, which is sad when people say, we don't even know who this Holy Spirit is. Now, I like the wind analogy best because I can't change the direction of the wind, but I can adjust my sails to catch it. You tracking with that? So we want to have the Holy Spirit breathing into our lives. I don't know where the wind is coming from, but I can harness its energy for power. Uh, A Pharisee named Nicodemus comes and asks Jesus some questions one time. And Jesus in John 3 says, The wind blows wherever it wants. Just as you can hear the wind blow but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going, so you can't explain how people are born of the Spirit. He can't uh, be explained all that well. He's a person though. He's like the wind. I want to adjust my sails to catch him. It's worth noting that as a person, He has a personality. The Holy Spirit has a personality. Throughout Scripture, we see that the Holy Spirit clearly has a will. He has emotion. He has intelligence. He speaks. None of these things can be said of an object or of a force. Ephesians 4.30 will say, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Grief is an emotion. And we're made in the image of God, which is why we have emotions. Because God does. It's crazy, but He's a person with a personality. The other big idea you have to understand, number two, is He is God. He is God. This is huge. John fourteen sixteen says, And I will ask the Father, and He will give you another Helper to be with you forever. This is an important word, the word another that Jesus uses here. He doesn't mean another as in a downgrade. 
He says, I'm going to send you another of the same kind, of the same essence, the same fabric. I'll give you an example to help you understand this. If we were hanging out and went and grabbed some coffee at a coffee shop, and uh, we got to talking about something, and I just got super excited about it, and I started using my hands, which is not outside the realm of possibility. It tends to happen. Uh, but I accidentally knock over your coffee and I spilled it. I would go to the barista and ask for another. So they hand me another in the paper cup. I hand it to you. You take a drink of the coffee and it, you look at it and you notice they had written the word decaf on the cup. You say, what is this witchcraft, right? <laughs> Sorcery. This is, this is a devil's brew, pastor. What did you do? It's another... But it's another of a different mother, right? I mean, it's not, you do not want that disrupting the delicate balance of your caffeine intake. So you would need something uh, different. You don't want that trash in your mouth. So I would have to go still to get you another of the same kind. That's the word Jesus is using here. He's saying you're going to get a helper who is of equal help as I am. In other words, He's God who will be with you. That Scripture says forever. Clear indication of God. We'll talk more about that in two weeks when we talk about power. But that's really what what I want you to know. He's God. He has a personality. He is a who, not an it. He's a someone, not a something. But because He's God... There are three things that you need to know that He's going to do. These three things are all found in our John 16 passage. This is not an exhaustive list. If you would investigate the Holy Spirit further on your own, you would discover that He does way more than just these three things. But these are three important things that I want you to see today. These are sub-points of the main point that He is God. You can jot these down. Because He's God, He will convict you. Convict you. John 16, 7, He will convict the world of its sin. The word convict, not convict. Okay, that's a prisoner. That's different. Uh, Okay. Convict means to convince. So the Holy Spirit has come to convince the world, us, of sin. Notice that it does not say sins in general, but sin overall. It's come to convict the world of sin overall. You see, part of the work of the Holy Spirit is to make us aware of the fact that we are sinners separated from God. Now, sometimes people like to try and help the Holy Spirit out in this area. We want someone to, uh, else to feel bad or feel guilty for a certain thing that they are doing. Um, mothers are especially gifted in this area. Don't know what it is with a mom, but they can look at you with something motherly look, and you'll start confessing things that you haven't confessed in years, right? I mean, you just, uh, if you should not try this, though, if you're not a mom, and that's not your child, okay? That's, that's the one way this thing works. But it's the Holy Spirit's job, in every other case, to convict the world of sin. The work of the Holy Spirit is to show us that we have fallen short of God's standards. That's what that word sin literally means. It's an archery term. It, it means you fell short of the, the mark. And the work of the Holy Spirit is to show us in our lives we've fallen short of God's mark. This is something that only the Holy Spirit can effectively do. There is nothing I can say to convince any person that they are a sinner. 
There is nothing I can say or do to convince you all of your need for Jesus Christ. My job, if you want to call it that, as a pastor, as a preacher, as an evangelist, is to declare the truth to you and leave the results to the Holy Spirit. I just happen to believe that when God's Word goes out, the Holy Spirit takes it to its intended place. He works in the heart of an individual. And we need to realize that this is the work of the Holy Spirit, to bring conviction. It is not my work, as people have have talked to me after messages throughout the years. They said, it sounded like you were talking just to me. Like I was the only person in the room. I say, that's not me. You know, that's, that's God. Uh, I do not want to try and trick anybody into becoming a Christian. I don't want to try and pressure somebody into becoming a Christian. If they can be tricked in, they can be tricked out. You know, if they can be pressured in, they can be pressured out. I would never drag someone down the aisle to make a commitment to Christ. That needs to be a genuine, heartfelt decision on their part. Look, now, part of our job is to call sin, sin, but the Bible also says that we are supposed to not treat an unbeliever like a believer. We're not supposed to, 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 to try and convict them of anything. It's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to herald the good news of Jesus. That He can give you everything that you desire. That only He can change your life. Come on, somebody. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict them of their sin. Which is, again, why I'm so passionate about you figuring out how to live a Spirit-led life. Which is actually point two. That God, the Holy Spirit, He will guide you with power. He's going to guide you with power. When the Spirit of truth comes, it says, He will guide you. Where conviction was about sin overall, the big overarching term, sin, that you're a sinner in need of a Savior, guiding you in power is about particular sins, specific sins. Power is, is also much more than that, which is why I have a whole week dedicated to power of the Holy Spirit. It's also why I said I want you to come back, because I want you to have access to this power. I want you to understand the power at your disposal. But guiding you is also about uh, uh, letting you know of sins in your life that you, you can't keep doing this. You can't keep living this way. You can't keep trying to, to make life and, and decisions all on your own. You need the Holy Spirit's power. You need Him guiding you. Last point. He will glorify God through you. He will glorify God through you. Verse 14 says, He will bring me glory by telling you whatever He receives from me. So not only does He speak to you, despite what the ladies on The View say, you know, you all heard about the, uh, Mike Pence getting ridiculed for that because the Holy Spirit speaks to him. Yeah, I believe that, okay? I'd like, I'd like for our government to have a little God in it, right? You know what I'm saying? But Scripture also tells us that He works through you primarily by giving you spiritual gifts. But that's week three. So you got to come back for that. We're going to talk about tongues. We're going to talk about healing. We're going to talk about prophecy. We're going to get... All of it. Spiritual gifts. It's amazing. Now, I don't want you to 
close up your journals yet. I don't want you to put your notes away. I know I gave you the last point. Some of you are feeling like that's all you need to hear. But I want to make sure you hear me say this. So listen carefully. I believe that some of you who have joined us today, you are not believers in Jesus Christ. And you need to hear me say that God's Holy Spirit has preparing, been preparing you for this moment. Maybe you haven't chased after booze or chew or the girls who do, right? But you've, you've got something in your life that the Spirit has been trying to convict you of. Maybe you thought, if I can just get this degree hanging on my wall, I know I would be fulfilled. If I could just get this guy or this girl as my boyfriend or girlfriend and, and they could just be my spouse, then I would be happy. When you get them, you think, man, if I could just get rid of this guy or girl, I know I'd be happy. You know? That's ridiculous. I apologize. But if I could just get this job, if I could just get this promotion, if I could just get this car, if I, I just need the newer model, if I could just get this house, if I could just get... If I could... If marijuana would make me happy... Maybe that doesn't work. If I, maybe I need cocaine or LSD or heroin. You're chasing after garbage. One of the, these days, you're going to come to the conclusion that there is nothing out there in this world that will satisfy you. You're going to realize that you need Jesus. If you drink of those things, you're going to thirst again. If you chase after those things, there's always going to be something else because it's never going to fill this hole in your soul. You'll always be hungry again. The Holy Spirit has come to show you that. He has come to show you that you can't do it on your own. He's come to show you that you are not good enough to get to heaven. You need help. He's come to convince you of your sin, of your separation from God. To convince you of your need for righteousness that can only be found in Jesus. He's come to take you by the hand to meet Jesus Christ. Now the Holy Spirit is doing that work in your life, showing you your need for the Lord, and and you have a decision to make. You can decide yes, or you can decide no. So let me give you an illustration as we close. Let's say that today was your birthday. And I found out about it. And I thought so much of you that I sold everything I had to buy you the ultimate birthday present. Sold my car, not worth a whole lot. Sold my house, sold my dog. I set my son off to slave labor. Keeping the girls, okay, they're near and dear to my heart. The boy... Right? You know what I mean? Something about that kid right now. Uh, But I had nothing left to my name. My shoe collection, gone. Okay? Something. I'm all in. Now, I'm not a rich man, but those things combined would get you a pretty fantastic gift. So let's say I excitedly wrapped it up in a beautiful box and gave it to you. I said, I know today is your birthday. Happy birthday. So jacked, I can hardly wait for you to open the present. You look at it and you say, Landon, you shouldn't have. That's so thoughtful for you, uh, of you. I say, open it. Well, I, I don't really want to open it. Kind of busy right now. 
have other things to do. Can you bring this back in a couple years? I'm going to have more birthdays. All of a sudden, you're starting to hurt my feelings. Figure I better clue you in. I say, I gave everything I have for this gift. I, I bought it with everything I own. And I'm giving it to you. There's a sacrifice on my part. I lost my son. But nothing would give me greater joy than to see you open it right now. Go ahead. Go for it. Really? You did? All of that just... For me, that's so generous of you. But I... I don't want to open it right now. Now I've gone from being a hurt to being offended. You're offending me. Why would you do that? Did I mention I lost everything? Yeah, you mentioned you paid an incredible price. I got the gist of that, but I don't want your gift right now. You can take it. You can come back later. Like I said, now you've insulted me. See, the Holy Spirit comes to you and He says, you need Jesus. And perhaps for years you said, that's so sweet of you to show me that, Holy Spirit. I'm just so busy right now. I've got other things to do. I've got some other things I want to achieve. Maybe you could come back later. And the Holy Spirit says, no, Jesus Christ shed His blood for you on the cross. He gave up everything for you. This is the ultimate sacrifice. That's so nice. I appreciate that. But could you bring it back to me later? Do you realize what you're doing in that moment? In the same way you insulted me, you're insulting the Holy Spirit. You don't want to insult the Spirit. That can lead to resisting the Spirit. And do you know what resisting the Spirit can lead to? The unpardonable sin. Scripture lays out that there's only one sin in this world that can't be forgiven. It's blasphemy of the Spirit. Starts with insulting, leads to resisting, culminates in blasphemy. To blaspheme the Spirit essentially means you're rejecting the work the Spirit came to do, which is to lead you to Jesus, to show you what He did for you. The Bible says, how can we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? There might be some of you here right now that have been insulting the Spirit. Maybe you've been resisting the Spirit. Some of you might be on the verge of blaspheming the Spirit. I doubt any of you have done that today because you probably wouldn't be here if you had. I would expect that you showing up, there's at least some level of interest on your part. But here's all I'm asking. Will you respond to the work of the Holy Spirit? The Bible says the Spirit and Jesus, the groom, they say, come. Let him who is thirsty come and drink the water of life freely. God's Holy Spirit has been working in your life to bring you to this moment. I don't think you're here by accident. I think the Holy Spirit brought you here to show you an awareness for your need for Jesus. Would you like Jesus to come into your life? Would you like to have that void filled inside of you that you've tried to fill with other things that this world has to offer? Would you like this power that I'm telling you is at your disposal? When you die, do you want the assurance of eternal life in heaven? Would you be ready if Jesus came back? I'm praying that you would say yes to that. But again, it's not my job to convict you of anything. 
But with every head bowed and every eye closed, I want to give you an opportunity to trust in Jesus if you have yet to do that. I have no idea what your life holds. But I know that Jesus can give you everything you're searching for. Father, I just ask your Holy Spirit would do a work right now. It goes beyond any words or explanation that I have. Just begging for your Spirit to be present with us right now. Seek and save loss. We acknowledge Him. We realize that only He can do a work in our hearts. So if you haven't trusted Jesus, as we continue to pray, say, God, save me. God, forgive me. Make me new. I believe in Your Spirit. I believe in Your Son. I know Jesus died for me. I have faith in Him that He rose from the dead. Thank You for saving me. God, I thank You for spiritual hunger in this place. I, I pray that You would just fill us with Your Spirit. pray that the weeks to come as we seek You, as we try and know You, that You would speak to us in a way that only You can, that we would be filled with Your Holy Spirit, that we would know Your presence, that we would be aware of Your guidance, Your comfort. Holy Spirit, we believe that You are working on our behalf, that You're praying for us, that You, that you speak in groans that we can't even understand to the Father. We believe all of these things. That it's not our own power. Fill us, God, with Your Holy Spirit. Let us bring honor and glory to Your name. If there are unconfessed sins even in this room, I would ask that You would guide us. Help us be forgiven as well. We're so thankful for everything that You've done for us. Help us as we leave this place to live for You. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.